Hey, everybody. Uh, thank you for hopping on this webinar. My name is James Grogan, pastor of Eastlake Church in Chula Vista, California, which is a south suburb of San Diego. So I'm about five miles from the border right here where I'm at uh, in my office right now. Uh, thank you for being a part of this webinar. Uh, we have the privilege. We have Ralph Moore with us. And I know we have a bunch of people hopping on as we're speaking uh, I'm going to give Ralph a proper introduction, uh, but a, in a moment. But a fun fact is, if I were to turn my camera and you look outside, uh, Ralph, are you in your house? Yeah, I'm in my house. Okay, we can so almost see each other. Huh? There is a large mountain, uh, Otai Mountain, between Ralph and I. That's the only thing. Probably as a crow flies, as they say, we're probably less than two miles away from each other. But it takes about a 20 minute drive. Because you got to go around the mountain. <laughs> so uh, both of us are here in San Diego County, and uh, we are excited today to uh, interview Ralph and to talk about our theme for Exponential, uh, the great collaboration uh, is what we're going to be talking about today and the idea of uh, being together in this mission. So again, thank you for hopping on. Uh, just a couple of kind of awareness things as we talk and ask questions of Ralph today. Uh, if you would like to ask a question, uh, you can do that uh, right there uh, on the chat feature and um, might be able to jump into those in the middle of our, our conversation, but feel free to, to populate those uh, and jump right in there. Again, if you're just joining us, uh, we have Ralph Moore with us, and now we'll get to the proper introduction. Uh, Ralph is the founding pastor of three churches, which grew into the Hope Chapel movement. Uh, now numbering more than 2,000 churches worldwide. Um, and these are the offspring of about 70, 000, about 70 congregations launched from Ralph Hands directly on disciple-making efforts. Uh, he ser currently serves with us as the church multiplication catalyst uh, for our exponential. Um, and in addition, uh, mentors, pastors, teaches on multiplication, written several books um, on uh, the church and disciple-making, um, and so we are just honored to have you with us, Ralph, and thank you for taking your time today uh, as we talk about this theme together, uh, the great collaboration is what we're talking about. And just to set that up for us, uh, in case you're new to the theme this year, uh, in Exponential, it's the idea that uh, right before Jesus left the planet, he reminded his closest followers of his vision uh, for how the mission would be accomplished and all of us understand uh, the great commission that we are to go uh, and make disciples. We understand the great commandment uh, that we are to do that uh, in love. But oftentimes we forget uh, what is called the great collaboration, which is in John 17, Jesus' prayer, that we would be one. And that one of the signs that people would know we are his disciples and his followers uh, is our unity. And so uh, what we're talking about today is this idea uh, of the great collaboration, uh, that we would go in love together. And so, uh, Ralph, as we start and kick this conversation off, um, I'd love for you just to jump right in with this question. Uh, why do you think it's important uh, that we pursue Jesus' mission together, uh, alongside others, uh, other churches, other pastors, other leaders, whatever our context is? 
I have been thinking about this a lot. I, I do a little coaching thing and, and I, I did a little research. I found out that uh, when I was a little kid in 1950, I'm pretty old, but in 1950, 95% of the people in the United States self-identified as Christian. Uh, today, that number is down to 58%. So we're losing ground. <clears throat> we had a lot of cultural Christians in the mix then. We know that. Not everybody was you know, red hot on fire. Uh, but I think the way that we've done church in the last few years, we probably have more cultural Christians in the mix because we've done such a good job at, at, at attracting and entertaining people without really training people to make disciples and make disciples. So all of a sudden, along comes covid uh, the political polarity in the country, in a sense, we need to be together in, in almost in a defensive posture. You know, one of the things that we did in Hawaii so well was plant churches in public schools, but now we're locked out of the public schools. But there's all these church buildings that are empty in off hours. And I see opportunity there that we could share real estate. Uh, I, I see opportunity that we could share, you know, technical expertise. All of that, in a way, seems to be a defensive posture. Uh, things are getting harder. Uh, it's getting a little bit tougher. Let's pull the resources and learn to share with each other. And then I think on the other side of things, on a, on a little more opportunistic, innovative um, slant, we need each other in a way that the things that you guys are doing in the San Diego's Church Planters Group, where you're gathering people together so they can learn from each other, and they could stoke each other's fires. And then there's a third level to this. And, you know, the neighborhood where I live is called Chaldean Hill. Uh, almost everybody in my neighborhood are, are from Iraq, and they're kind of quasi-Christians. Most of them, literally, most of them own liquor stores. Because when you came to America, you can't be a lawyer anymore. You can't be a doctor anymore. You buy a liquor store. And they all came around the first Gulf War. And so how do you reach into these kind of people groups? And, and I think the, the idea of I'm the pastor, I'm the center of everything needs to get focused on there's these other people who are a member of some other people group and, you know, a different ethnic. They've, they've slipped into my church. How do I partner with them to reach out of my church into others? So I see this as kind of a, a three-level thing that we really, really need each other at this time in our history. And we need to we need to embrace the defensive, but we need then to turn into opportunistic, innovative, disciple-making people who are who are partnering with whoever will partner with us. Short question, long answer. Sorry about that. No, no, that's great. I, I wrote down if I if I would summarize those three things, uh, you know, sharing resources blessing, partnering together, one, just the encouragement and uh, training, you know, uh, like number two, and then number three, if I'm, if I understood that right, uh, is we need each other because of a wider reach into unique people populations. Well, I think, what I think we need to realize is we need the people in those unique people populations. And, yeah. and they've always been sort of the also rands in our churches uh, we need to look at them as the persons of peace who are a pathway into a whole nother mission field that's right at our door. And uh, and when I think of people groups, I, I think not just of ethnic groups or language groups, 
But again, the self-identifiers, you know, the people who are really into tattoos are really into each other. And the people who are, you know, here and really into surfing are really into each other. And, um, you know, when I was coming up way back in the 1970s, we, we had super entree into surfing. Uh, where I was at in Manhattan, Hermosa Beach. And then the same thing happened in Hawaii. We we pretty much uh, in each place dominated a local and super successful surf, church shop, surf shop, in that uh, our, our people had penetrated it. People had found the Lord there, and it actually became a center of evangelism <laughs> off to the side. But we're, we're, I think we look too much like us these days in church. And we need to begin to look like other people. And so it's going to take partnerships to get there. Yeah, that's so good. If I could, if I could circle back and let's just dig into these three things a little bit more. Um, how, what, how have you seen, and I know you just briefly mentioned, but let's dig in on the, on the share piece. Cause it gets you, you know, really what are some things that we can do to move from the theory of unity in the big C church to the practice. And, and I love that you gave us these three things, but let's just drill down on each of these um, on, on the idea of, of sharing and, and uh, you know, being together in a time where a lot of church, a lot of church plants uh, that didn't have their own private facility, if you will, before COVID are not able to go back in those facilities still. And we're, coming up on two years, you know, soon. Um, what, what have you seen uh, just in that? How, how have you seen churches doing that? Maybe for a lot of us, it would help us get out of, you know, kind of our box of thinking. Um, so what, what are you just seeing out there that have, that have happened, whether you've seen it or heard about it, the way churches are doing this? Well, right nearby in, in the city of La Mesa, I, I just saw a, a a, a, a smallish building probably holds a couple hundred people and it's a, a, a liberal mainline denomination. And then there's a sign out front that is, is for a, low, a, a Pentecostal church. That's obviously a church plant. So these people are sharing facilities and I'm going, well, this is where it's at. I, I we've done this very well in Japan for years. Um, you know, the, 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 the church that owns a property has Sunday morning Every other people meet in off hours and, you know, Sunday afternoon. The advice that we always give is uh, let them make it dirty, then you use it. If, if you go in and rent it on Saturday, they're going to be mad at you Sunday morning. But if they mess it up on Sunday morning, you're thankful you got the building on Sunday afternoon. But I got a friend in North Hollywood. He was born in the United States, but he's a Russian language speaker native to his home. And um, so he, as he grew up, uh, he, uh, they, they gave him an empty church building in North Hollywood that holds about 300 people. And he started a Russian language church. And then he said that he felt that God spoke to him and told him, you need to, to really get your English down because I, I raised you up to, to reach English speakers. And so the last time I saw him, the situation was that there was one Russian language church, then their service, same church. So three services two English services, packing the building. And then he got that idea of multi-use. He invited a Japanese-American congregation, an Ilocano-speaking Filipino group, and a Hispanic group. So you got his three services in one church, and you got three more churches 
meeting in this place. And that's the last time I talked with him. But the last time I talked with a friend of his is a friend of mine in uh, named, uh, Alexander Pashenko in Russia. I've been working with him for years. He's moving to the United States to become the pastor of that Russian language thing. That The thing is outgrowing them. That's very good news. But the fact that this is, there's willingness on the part of the building owner to say, we want to slot you in. But the flip side of that is that if you're the Filipino church and you have Sunday morning service on Tuesday evenings, and a lot of times immigrant cultures, they have to be off hours because Sunday they're working, uh, especially like if, you know, Hawaii, if you're hotel workers or whatever like that. So there, there's got to be this willingness to flex a little bit and, and not make Sunday morning a God. And, and so you got to have the generosity on the one side and the flexibility on the other side to come together and, and get some things done. And, and I think the, uh, I mean, the, the most underutilized buildings in the land are church buildings. And, you know, so many churches, one thing that I'm seeing happen on another front are, are churches where older people are, you know, we're down, we own the property and we're down to 12 people. Would you come and take over our building? I have a friend in Santa Cruz that that's happened to them twice in Santa Cruz and once when they planted a church in Portland, Oregon, and they, they've been given millions of dollars worth of property. And, uh, you know, but that's a kind of a rare thing. But I would say to, to my friend in Santa Cruz, hey, buddy, it's incumbent on you now. Uh, how many more churches, you know, autonomous churches separate from yours, can you squeeze into that building in seven days in a week? Uh, because to, to whom much is given, uh, much is required. And let's share. Dude, I love that. That is a great word. Uh, we're going to dig into these next two, but let me just uh, say a welcome. Uh, I know we have people just continuing to hop on and join in. Uh, James Grogan coming to you from Chula Vista, uh, East Lake Church. Uh, Ralph Moore uh, coming to us from the other side of Otai Mountain uh, over in the La Mesa area. Is your address La Mesa? No, my, my address is Rancho San Diego. Rancho San Diego. Yes. So coming to us from Rancho San Diego, uh, both Ralph and I are going to be part of the Southern California uh, Exponential Regional Conference, which is happening uh, October 7 and 8. And I just want to jump before we keep digging in, invite you that if you are in the SoCal area or uh, you want to get here, um, I promise you it'll be good weather because we're in a drought. (laughs) So the weather would be great, but everything's brown. Uh, we'd love to have you join us on those days. Ralph's going to be sharing. We're going to get into that, what he's going to be talking about at the uh, Exponential Regional. But again, thank you for being a part of this. Ralph shared with us uh, kind of three practical ways for us to pursue unity together in the church. We just drilled down on one of those, which is the idea of sharing. And I love that in a culture that is becoming less friendly to church. And I think we can all see that being true, not just uh to Christians, but I think less friendly to the church organizationally. Cities are not real friendly uh, in especially most larger metropolitan cities to give church property because they're not going to get tax dollars for that. And uh, they really see us now as opposition to a lot of the things they're trying to promote uh, in our very liberal culture. And so uh, to not lose those, um, you know, opportunities uh, for kingdom outposts in cities, I think is really important, whether that's loading up 
lots of different congregations and churches in one space, whether that's mergers or gifting those to, you know, that uh, churches that are dying, gifting those to younger generation churches that are thriving. And so we talked about one practical way is to share. Uh, I think the other thing, Ralph, you talked about the second thing, a practical way for us to be together is just that encouragement, um, you know, that when pastors and church leaders come together, uh, that there should be that encouragement, edification, building one another up, uh, equipping one another. So if we could talk about that one for a little bit, where, where, what are you seeing happen? Uh, what are, what are ways that we can join in that? Maybe start that if we're in a community that hasn't done that well, what would that look like? You know, I, when I was in Hawaii, I would gather guys together and honestly, never often enough. And I, our church would buy lunch for them. I'd get 25 to 40 people. And all of them are church planters. Some have been at it a while. Some are brand new. And I, I'd ask everybody to speak. One, one of the things I think that we, we do, everything is always, you know, focused on the center of the room. And so I kind of flipped it upside down and asked everybody, tell us something good. What, you know, what's good in your, in your ministry? What's good in your personal life? And if there's nothing else good going on, tell us about the latest app you got in your phone. Just tell us something. And so the people who are never listened to were listened to. And there is a bonding. And, and I remember one time I did this with another group. And it was a, it was a, it was a kind of a, like a conference. I had a four-hour deal going. And, and, they, and I was the main guy. But I told them, this is what I'm going to do with the time. And they were afraid. They were heavy program people. And the guy took 45 minutes introducing me. Now, I, my wife thinks I'm wonderful, but I'm not that wonderful. And so he, he wastes all his time and I could just see the fear. He's scared to death. I'm just going to get up there and lay an egg doing what I did. So when I did it, uh, it was, it was incredible. And there were a couple pastors of some very large churches. If you know, the new hope group, they were there. And these guys come up to me, one guy crying and, and he goes, this is the best thing I've ever been to. I can't believe this. And, and what he was responding to is, is the dynamic in the spirit that seemed to take place as everybody was important. Everybody got a chance to share. And I think that's crucial. On a little more organized level, uh, I'm to, actually tomorrow I'm working uh, with a group called um, Multiply Indiana. And uh, a businessman put this thing together, Christian businessman. And they, I think you got to pay $5,000 to be part of the group every year. And then that money gets dispersed to new churches that are being planted. And so they got congregations of all stripes in this thing. Every They've overcome all. There's no doctrinal issues. You know, they just don't talk about those things. And, um, and, and so they're developing training venues. They're trying to bring me into it to see if they want me to, and I probably won't do it, but to do some training for them. Uh, and so I, I think that, again, this business of, of us getting together and, and learning off of each other. During the Second World War, the different fighter groups that had aces in them, aces in America being you shot down five airplanes. In Japan, aces were you shot down 30 airplanes. But it's interesting, the aces were all congregated you know, occasionally you'd have a fighter group that had one guy who was an ace, 
but mostly the aces were congregated in in groups where you know you, you got 20 pilots and seven of them are aces and the, and the next group of 20 pilots has nobody who's an ace these guys were feeding off of one another i saw this early in my ministry i used to work in a youth camp and there were a bunch of us that were planting churches at the time and you know we'd do whatever we do with the kids and then late at night we'd sit up till one two in the morning just chewing the fat telling each other stories and and but we learn from each other, and I, I think this is so crucial. And and you, James, are a wonderful example to me. When I first lit in San Diego from Hawaii, one of the first things I got to do was to attend uh, your San Diego Church Planters Group, and uh, I, I met Mingo Dominguez, and he taught me how to do what I do in terms of podcasts. Um, I actually went and spent two hours with him. Super nice guy. And it was just, there was such a, a camaraderie in that room. And I recall a table conversation. I'm not sure if I should get into this, but I will. And it was, um, you guys were larger churches. You're entering up, I think I think the number was like $5,000 a piece. You're, you're putting in the pool to help church planters. And there were a couple small churches that were there that, that were, at, one of them actually was a church plant. And they go, we can do that. We want to be part of that. You know, count on us. And then someone at the table, and maybe it was you, but someone uh, sa said, you know, these two other really large churches in town don't have a f anything to do with church planting, but we can probably wheedle five grand out of them if we just guilt them into it. And it was a big joke. Everybody laughed, but it's a practical joke. And what I've, I, I recently, I, I did a little church planters thing. I, I pulled together uh, actually a guy from Chula Vista. Um, and a guy from North County and a guy from one of the biggest churches in San Diego who all are, are you know, they've been, can I get an hour of your time? And I thought, ooh, three hours. Uh, why don't you all come to my house for lunch? And so we, we met together. And so this one large church that you guys targeted, I don't know if you ever went after them for money or not, but they've planted one church now, first time in their history. And they're on their way to doing a second one in Honolulu. And I'm really excited to be a part of that. And, and quite honestly, I think you did have something to do with it. So uh, that, that kind of thing where you're just getting these guys together, giving them a lunch and giving them a chance to get to know each other. Uh, that that's, you know, it's a no brainer. Anybody could do that, that chooses to do that. And, and, you know, and, and the fact that you guys are escalating it, it probably isn't for this conversation, but it sure excites me. Thank you. Wow. Right on. Well, hey, uh, we can either get people into multiplication willingly or through guilt. I'm good with either one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> whatever, whatever, whatever it takes. Um, yeah. So again, welcome everybody. If you're just hopping on, James Grogan, Ralph Moore, we're both going to be a part of Exponential Southern California, October seven and eight. If you are close. Man, especially if you are in San Diego County, please come. It's going to be a great opportunity uh, to network together. Um, you know, just on this point we're talking about right here, just to be together uh, in this season to build relate new relationships, strengthen existing ones. Uh, would love to have you a part of it. If you are in San Diego County on October 7th, we are going to be having an after party actually hosted by San Diego Church Plant Movement. Uh, inviting everybody just to share a meal together and share some time together immediately following the last session on that Thursday afternoon. So um, I invited Ralph to that. And so he'll be there. I'll be there. We'd love to have you a part of 
uh, exponential. And so, Ralph, we've talked about so far that idea of, okay, what can we practically do? Uh, we can share, uh, blessing one another, helping each other have, uh, you know, things as simple as places to meet uh, in communities as that has become harder during COVID. We can encourage one another. I loved that. Make everyone important, you know, in the room. I wrote that down as a note that when I'm hosting, you know, events that I'm doing with pastors, like, man, what a great word uh, to, to do that uh, for everybody. And I just thought of times where people did that for me in settings and what that meant for me. Um, so man, great word there. That was super good and encouraging. And then we talked about just those unique um, people groups, whether that be ethnic groups or, you know, um, you know, like-mindedness, hobbies, activities, life stages, all those things that are in our communities uh, Larry Osborne, you know, talks about, he uses the echo chambers term, right? That we find these echo chambers where, you know, it's because of internet and all the different things we can group up with people that think like us. And in a lot, in some ways that can be bad, but I think in other ways, when we're talking about how do we reach into all of those groups uh, that can be strategic. And so just from a practical way, kind of those three things, um, and I know you mentioned a few things, but I'd love to just dig into that one a little bit more, uh, kind of that, you know, okay, we're an existing church in a congregation and most of us do ministry a way, which reaches a group of people. Um, you just got me brainstorming and thinking like, okay, what is, what does that look like for whether you're, a church planter, or you're in an existing church that's been around 40 years, or, you know, you're 2000 people or 20 people or 200. I'd love to just dig into that. Like, what are some things that can help us thinking um, multiplication in that way into different spaces and people groups? Well, I, you know, I, I think just being alert as to, you know, who's there. One of the things that I noticed when I was in Hermosa, when I when I left Hermosa Beach was 1983, and I I had been there 12 years. I started the church. I was the 30th church planner to leave that church. But during the last two years that I was there, I noticed uh, uh, people who I mean, we're a church of mostly um, surfers. By this time, we started out as bikers and surfers and hippies and all that, but. Now, now we're kind of a church of uh, occupation-wise, you're either a carpenter or an aer aerospace engineer. And you, you really, that was the bulk of the congregation. Uh, probably a third of the people were in the surfing community, and we and I was in that community. So that was a no-brainer. So I don't even really want to go there. But I noticed um, people sitting in the back rows. They'd always sit in the back row, different people. They always looked like they were guilty. Like if, if these people knew what I'm all about, they wouldn't want me to be here. And they just had this, you know, hangdog look about them. And so I, I went to them and they all, all own small businesses. And I, I, I stood, I always, you know, stand at the back door and slap hands as people are coming in. I, I, I'll sit in a worship service. We were doing seven services a weekend in Honolulu. I would sit in, in a worship time in one service every week. I'd rotate which service. But otherwise, I'm at the door. I want to know the, the, the folks. So I knew 
what these guys were about. So I went to him, I go, look, you guys all are small businessmen. You all come to church and sit in the back row. And I don't know why, but I know that you're all back row guys. And so I figured being small businessmen, you got the same tax issues, you got something in common. And so I'd like to just pull together a, a, a group. And so we started a micro church with in-house micro church with those people. And I found, I, I found hidden alcohol issues. Uh, one, one lady, very wealthy person, uh, shows up one night. She, she'd been rolling around under a bush in a park with drinking expensive wine out of a paper cup. And she was dead drunk. It was really crazy. And uh, we brought healing into this family. But the most important thing of all was these, these people had commonality. And they continued to meet for like 10 more years after I left. And they, the, uh, some of the people who came in would not you know, really fit. You know, the L.A. Raider or the, the Oakland Raiders moved to L.A., now the Las Vegas Raiders. And um, a bunch of them came to the church. This was the year after I left. It was last time they won a Super Bowl. And so Matt Millen's going, all these guys are going to the church. Some of them ended up in that group. They wouldn't have fit with the carpenters, and they probably wouldn't have fit with the aerospace guys. They fit in that group. One guy used to play music with, with a guy named Jimi Hendrix, um, uh, Sly and the Family Stone, Dr. John. He, he's in, now he's an Oxford fellow. He and I are doing a, a digi church on Saturday afternoons together. But he, uh, he stumbled into that group. He was actually come to the grocery store next door to make a phone call to score drugs and uh, ended up walking into the church and checking it out, found his way into that group. So here is this unique little group of people and just being alert to, you know, who is, who's there. We had a guy in Honolulu who was a, um, a longshoreman and longshoreman uh, characteristically are paid very well. They're extremely unionized a lot of drugs going on, at, on on the docks, at least in Honolulu. And we, we managed to disciple this one guy and he took the gospel to his friends and stuff, you know, microchurch that was autonomous from our church is going on on a regular basis. It's not organized. It's not anybody's official stamp of approval other than our church is going, yeah, go for it. I have another friend who He's dying right now. He probably has three months to live. The last I talked to him was uh, about three weeks ago, and he had just discovered, uh, and I said three months, he's got three or four weeks to live. They, he, he's, he's feeling fine, but cancer's throughout his body, and they told him he had five weeks at that time to live, and he, you know, he's still holding on. He texted me last night, but his biggest concern right now isn't that he's dying. It's that there's two microchurches that he's pastoring among people who got out of jail in, in Honolulu. And he's discipling guys to take over. He already was because that's what he does. But now it's like, I, we got to accelerate this thing because you're at, I'm out of here. I'm going to go see Jesus and, uh, and, and you got to do this thing. So I think that there are these, these pockets of people. I love that term echo chamber. Uh, that that they they resonate with each other. Yeah. Uh, we have had gay and lesbian people show up in our church, 
And I, I don't know really what to make of their circumstance. I, I've watched some people that from one boy from childbirth looked like he was going to be a, a gay adult. And he, he was, I mean, it was, it was a very, it's, it's, I'm very confused over that issue, but what that has done to me is it, it's made me not be aggressive toward those people. When we had the same sex marriage issue come up in Hawaii, some idiot decided that God told him that I was to lead the charge against same sex marriage as our church was one of the bigger churches. And I was on the radio 15 times a week. And so I had influence. Oh, I'm not going to lead that charge because I got to figure out how to get those people into the kingdom of God and the Holy spirit can figure out their sexuality. That's not my issue. My issue is I'm, I'm bringing Jesus to people. And after that, because that was always the thing with drugs. I never, I never confronted anybody over drug use in my life. And yet I saw all these people, you know, lives change. Holy spirit is alive and well. And so anyhow, this guy ends up, um, stormed the front and took over the microphone one Sunday. And so I I spent 15 weeks during this whole political thing. I was preaching under armed guard. The first week he tried to take the microphone and we're across the street from a police substation. So somebody ran over and got the cops. The next week I come to church. We had a 6 a.m. service and he's on his knees in the back of the auditorium with his hands lifted up. Oh God, forgive Ralph Moore for refusing your call of his life and all this. And so uh, from, from then on, uh, I got a, I got an armed policeman in there, but um, I, I found out by just, you know, going to coffee with a couple of people personally, because my staff wasn't where I was uh, and, and I wasn't, you know, we're not going to turn into a gay church or something, but it's like, I'm going to befriend these people and they're already friends with their friends. Yeah. So it's it's not too hard to do the math. You you get this one guy in the kingdom, and and it's he's going to bleed into others. I, I look at you know Luke ten and the person of peace, and uh, they're sitting in our churches, and we're ignoring them. That's so good. Uh, you know, I think you. Well, two things. First of all, I can't believe you had a six a.m. service. That's a whole other webinar that I'm like, what? There's people that go to church at six a.m. Maybe, I don't, maybe was that in Hawaii? Is that a Hawaii? Yeah, they, well, they have jobs that won't let them come to church later, uh, and, and they want to be there. You know, we were doing Friday night, Saturday night, but they to them Sunday morning is sacrosanct. So we got to accommodate that. Wow. I was mentored by Robert Schuler, and before they built the Crystal Cathedral. They, they had about 8,000 people in church in, in a 2,500-seat auditorium and probably three services. But he built this tower. You know, he was into building monuments. And at the top of the tower was a little chapel that would hold about 100 people. And those guys, uh, when I first met him, it, this was like 1983. I was 25 years old, and he took me under his wing. But they were doing a 5 a.m. service in that chapel. And it's like, there's 8,000 people in your church, you're on TV around the world, all this, but you still care about these, you know, and asked why? Well, these people work in bars. Some of them are, are, are strippers, even. They're bartenders. Bar closes at 2 a.m. And they clean up for an hour. And then they go to Danny's for breakfast. And then they come here for church. And we, we care about these people, and that's the issue. It's not we care about filling right. seats. We care about these people. And to ask them to come to church at 8 o'clock 
would, would be wrong because they can come to church, go home and go to bed. And, and that's the way that they live their lives. And so we're fitting them rather than asking them to fit us. And that, that was, that was a lesson that has changed my life. I, I mean, it, my whole approach to ministry is very different because of that one conversation. No, and I, and, I, and I heard you say that even before you gave the explanation why you said it, which you gave us the explanation, which is the idea of uh, us being willing to fit into what other people are doing rather than tell them to fit into the only one thing we are doing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a big shift. I think uh, if I can... I'm going to shift our conversation or the question, because I think what you just exposed there is one of the barriers to unity and togetherness around mission. And I, and I think one of those barriers is we all have a, this is what we do. And if it's anything outside of our, the one thing we do, it's hard for us to be for it or willing to do it. And, and what you just shared is a huge, that's a big shift to go, no, no, let's, whether that be a church service, whether that be a, a uh, micro church, whether that be whatever it is, it's going, no, let's fit, let's fit discipleship and the mission of Jesus into what those people are doing. And so I think that is a barrier for some of us uh, there. And then uh, if you want to dig into that a little more, you could, or are there other barriers? What are some of the other barriers? Cause I think all of us are nodding our heads at this point going, yes, unity togetherness around Jesus mission. Let's be the big C church in our city, in our country, in our world together. But I think there are some of those things that keep us from doing it well. And I think one of them is what we just said, and there's probably some more. Well, you know, last night I, I did this, coaching thing and and i produce some material and then we some people just get the material other people we do a live call and we're in the live call and i, I was talking about why some micro churches you know exponential has brought this concept of micro church to the fore and and then uh, todd wilson asked me to write a book about it so i i sort of people see me as oh he knows a lot about it and they ask me questions well Actually, we didn't start micro churches. We started them within our congregation, and we used them as a training ground for church planting. But we were planting mid-sized churches. So I wrote this book for Exponential, and I think there's eight stories from Hope Chapel of micro churches. It's the only eight that I could find in the, the whole deal. So I don't. I'm not really the expert, but uh, I. But because of that, I, I do this podcast. I, I'm meeting a lot of people. I'm becoming an expert by learning from other people. So I had written this thing about why some microchurches, and I'm talking about in, in-house microchurches or autonomous, why some need to be online rather than in person. And, it, and, and, and one reason is in some places it gets real snowy in the winter. Uh, we're doing it in, micro, in, in Mongolia and, you know, they'll meet in person, but then they meet online during the winter times. That, that, that makes sense. We all have, well, we don't all have, but I have in my guilty conscience, uh, elderly people who were, were big donors, uh, big, big servers, real involved in the church. And as they got older and older, then they just dropped out of sight and quit coming. And then, you know, five, eight years later, I'm called on to do their funeral. And their family's telling me 
oh, what a great pastor you were. They missed you so much in their later years. They loved you, you, you know, whatever, whatever. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I let these people down incredibly. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if I was a pastor today. Well, I know what I do today. But if I had to go back to Honolulu, given the circumstances, I don't know what I would do to do a better job of reaching basically people who are shut-ins. I do know what I would do today is I, I would be running something online for them. I, I would have a, a, ses, a separate online church service on a Sunday morning that I, I taught that was a live Zoom call. And then I would organize them into little Zoom groups. And I probably would be buying computers for some people <clears throat> and certainly sending some techies to their house to make sure that they knew how to utilize Zoom. And so uh, we got into this conversation last night and a couple of the guys are just, <coughs> they can't see the value of online. They can only see the value of, of our being together and being huggable. And, and so I, I posit, I go, well, look at it. If it's online or nothing, what do you prefer online? <coughs> Cause that's the situation with shut-ins is online or nothing. Another guy erupted, and it, it, can you excuse me for a second? I'm, I got to yeah. get some more water. I'm, I'm, one of the things that happens is you get older, you get drier throat. <laughs> I'm old problem. as dirt. I'm no right problem. No, while, while you do that, uh, I will uh, have us put up a link uh, to our Exponential Southern California Regional where, where Ralph is going to be joining us. And uh, if you are in the area would love you to be a part of that. Uh, it is October 7, 8. Uh, there are pre-conference labs in the morning of the 7th. The general sessions start in the uh, afternoon. There is a link in the chat. If you open the chat right now, uh, it is exponential.org slash events. And we would love to I'm gonna turn my phone off if you hear something dinging. Um so we would love to uh, have you join us for that. And then it is over uh, on uh, lunchtime. So it's morning on Friday the 8th. And then we actually have uh, Exponential in Espanol happening on Friday uh, evening and then Saturday uh, the 9th as well. So anyway, we'd love to have you join us uh, to be a part of that. So, okay, Ralph, uh, jumping back in. Okay, so we were in this conversation, and and um, and there's, so there's like probably ten guys there, and one guy is really reticent, and and yet he's open. He 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 really he goes. I I honestly just can't stretch my mind around any value in this whole online experience. The, another guy named John Harris, and actually he's my podcast for the last two weeks. Um, he he was a military chaplain, career guy got a doctorate in ministries, African-American, became the exec pastor of a huge church in Northern California for 11 years, and then felt like God was calling him to go and coach pastors. And so he's struggling with these pastors who during COVID hated Zoom. You know, everybody's got Zoom fatigue. I don't want to do it, whatever, whatever. So um, he, he, when he started his business right before COVID. So his business immediately became a zoom based business. And so, so he's, he's really into this online thing. Then he starts thinking, well, if I'm going to coach these guys about their churches, I ought to be doing the church. 
And so it, 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 I, I would not have done this. I, I, I actually, if somebody asked me, you know, how do you do this? I'd say, don't do it. It's a stupid idea. But boy, it's working for him. In eight months, his Facebook church has over 400 people attending it. They've planted two uh, face-to-face churches, in, in starting with houses. And now they're rolling it over into a Facebook slash Zoom model. It started out with Sunday morning is Wednesday night, and I do a live um, teaching on Zoom. And then I break people up into groups according to interest, the kind of thing we're talking about, the, the different people group. Well, then he began to discover where people lived. He has a questionnaire you got to fill out to get in. So he gets their zip code. And so he's been able to group them online and, and by, by zip code in these breakout groups. This is all chat rooms. This is all, to me, I, I just don't, I'm not into social media. I post junk. I never read it. And so these people are actually talking to each other and he's managed to organize them into physical churches and he's discipling the pastors in eight months, this has gone on. And then he, 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 over the last two or three weeks began to realize this needs to be interactive and it might way more than a chat room. So he's now rolling it over into zoom groups and he bought, I mean, for 49 bucks a month, you can do amazing things with zoom. Um, So out of his own pocket, he's, you know, he's, he's a businessman and, and, and he's funding this out of his pocket. And so they're in the process of, of doing this pretty incredible thing. He took issue with me like crazy over, do not say that it's a, it's a choice of online or nothing. Well, in some situations it is, you know, do say it's an opportunity for us to exploit. Now here's, here's the rub. This gets back to the togetherness in some circumstances, not with that group, that group was, very cool. But but in some circumstances, what he said to me would be fighting words because people have polarized, you know, over vaccine or no vaccine or masks or no masks. Now they're polarizing over online or not or no online. And it's it's really silliness. And it's like, let's just let's do what the one guy did last night who started out saying, you know, I, I may be old fashioned. I'm just not getting this. Who was willing to open his doors and go, oh, I can see value in it. I still am not going to run out and do it tomorrow, but I see value in it. Let's see that in each other because that's the starting point for growing together. Yes. No, I, I think that's a great word for us in that I think one of our barriers is our own closed-mindedness, right? Uh, meaning to other models, other opportunities, things that are different than what we've seen or done or been trained to do. Uh, and to me, that that is one of the greatest opportunities I see out there right now is just, man, you, in this season, you can try things. In the same way everybody blames any problem on COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you go to order something and the store's like, we don't have it. Yeah. I, I'm not sure it's actually COVID anymore, but right, they right. still say, oh, it's it's because of COVID. Like COVID's a thing you can blame anything on. Yes. I think, I think the flip side it's the thing church leaders can try anything. Right. And, and blame do, it on COVID. And blame it on COVID. Like, <laughs> hey, we're going to try this because, you know, it's like, hey, but more people are online watching service than ever before. And so we're going to try something new and we're going to, you know, change this. And, ch- and I think there's a, I think there's a beautiful opportunity in that, uh, go, you know, as we're going into the, 
the end of this year and looking at next year still, I, I do. I just think there's great opportunity. Um, let me give us one to two more questions here uh, during our allotted time. And I think one of those would be, and, and we've touched on a lot of these, but are there any other kingdom, you know, just multiplication or togetherness opportunities out there right now? You just told us a super unique one from a guy that's, that's multiplying and, and doing a midweek church in a very unique way, but very intentionally getting people face-to-face, even on Zoom and discipling them and training up leaders and multiplying. Uh, any other just, uh, and, and doesn't have to be a model, but just opportunities we should be looking for as church leaders in this season of either togetherness or multiplication or both. Well, you know, and this comes back to the, the micro church thing, the thing I've been coaching people on. I, I think we, we really need to back up. I mean, right. I I'm, I'm in the catbirds here right now. I'm funded by the United States government. I, I, I'm such a miser that I can live off of social security. Now I waited till I was 70. I got pretty good social security, but I got all this IRA, you know, 401k income. And I don't even, I don't even touch it. So it's like, I don't need to worry about money. That's a pretty nice spot to be in. But if you could just put yourself in that spot, I don't need to worry about money. How would I run my church? Well, one of the things that I would do is I'd begin to look for people in my church who could become, uh, what I, I use the word freelance, bivocational, co-vocational. Uh, but when I, I like the word freelance because people have a side hustle. So let the church be your side hustle and have a career. So who, who's in my church that's leading a small group in my church that could actually reach into their kind of people, maybe their kind of attorneys or, you know, their kind of dock workers or, uh, their kind of surfing buddies or whatever, and they could go and start a church among people who maybe because of geography or maybe because of prejudice, whatever, are not going to come and listen to me talk. You know, how, how would I approach that? Because I think that that's approaching the New Testament model. One of my favorite passages of scripture is in Acts 14, where Paul got stoned and left for dead, and then they ran around through the cities where they'd been, and they appointed elders from among their disciples. Those, those were bivocational pastors when they became pastors. The guy was still a carpenter or a sheep herder or whatever the heck he was because it was small. But I, I think that's the expansion model of the church that works around the world, and we're not using it. And so, it, again, if, I, if, I, if money wasn't an issue, because that's the problem, it's always an issue. But if money wasn't an issue, who in my church would I get more close to so I could begin to instigate ideas of you could go start a church? And I know of a church in uh, where I work in Sri, Sri Lanka. And when I first went there, the guy, the guy started out, he took over a church of 25 people and grew it to two <laughs> besides his wife. And then it turned around. And when I first went there, there were like 350 people. And they were planting uh, basically house churches. The guy drives me to the airport. Um, he, he shows up late. I'm a little nervous. There's a civil war going on. It's kind of scary time. But he's in this. It was a Sunday night, really late at night. He's in a BMW that hasn't yet come to the United States. <clears throat> and it's like, I'm a car nut. So it's like, wow, tell me about your car. No, I want to tell you about my church. 
The reason I was late tonight is that my one of my churches had a party for me because it was the last night there. Um, I, I pastor one church 4.30 on Sunday afternoon. I pastor another one at 7 at night. There's a 7 p.m. church that had the party. Next week, I start my fifth church. And I, I raised up a disciple. And he goes, my family go to the big church. My children have stability. Honestly, some of the churches that I've pastored, I wouldn't take my children there because it's a scary neighborhood. So here's this guy that turns out he owns a BMW distributorship for the country. Filthy rich. And he's going into really poor neighborhoods, dangerous neighborhoods, and, and planting churches, raising disciples, and, you know, and going on. Well, I went back to Sri Lanka, and, and now there's like a little over 2,000 people in the church, and they've planted 2,100 churches. There's actually more churches out there, and I'm going to use the word microchurch because that's how they start, but some of their microchurches now have six or 700 people in them. And they, it's all just lay people. They, they train them in-house, and this thing just keeps going on. There's more churches throughout South India and Sri Lanka and the Philippines coming from that congregation than there are people going to the church, although it's a, it's a small mega church. One guy moved to England. He's my buddy. I met him, I met him in Turkey, and uh, we were or hungry, I guess. And he invited me to come to England. So I've been going to England. He's from that church. And so as a 30-year-old, he moved to London to take an IT job and did what people from that church do. He started a church in his house. And today there's over 50 churches. I don't know how many there actually are because I haven't been there for a while. There were over 50 the last time I was there. But he saw COVID as an opportunity. And he, he created a little leaders institute. And they've been planting churches from that. So I'm imagining that there's probably 60, 65 churches. Uh, he's long since had to quit his engineering job or his IT job because the thing just swallowed him up. But now they've bridged into France and Italy. And so this, this has all come from Sri Lanka, very poor, poor country. And they're doing incredible things. We just need to find those opportunities and, and look for the people in our churches who could do those kinds of things and the Holy Spirit will teach us how as we go. Amen. Amen to that. I love that. You got you got me thinking. How can I how can I start four or five other churches while I'm doing this one? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's so exciting. Well, hey, uh, Ralph, thank you so much. Uh, I want to honor our time here and honor yours yeah. for being a part of this. I'd love for you to pray for us before we go. And let me just uh, once again thank everybody for being a part of this. Uh, and would love to have you be a part of our gathering where we're going to hear uh, from leaders like Ralph. Ralph is going to be there. Ralph's going to be speaking on one of the main sessions uh, about, let me make sure I get this right, being together uh, with God personally. I can't wait to hear uh, how you're going to challenge us and inspire us to do what you just said. How do we, Let's listen to the Holy Spirit. Let's let the Holy Spirit lead and guide and let Jesus build his church. And then what a joy to be on the on that ride uh, with what the spirit is doing and how the spirit is leading and leading us, you know, to step out courageously and boldly. I'm fired up after this conversation. I'm ready to, I'm ready to replan 2022 <laughs> for uh, what that looks like for me. So uh, thank you for that today. And would love to have you join us 
uh, the link for registration. I know uh, Friday there is a rate uh, change. And so if you haven't registered yet, please do so before Friday. The link is in the uh, chat right there. Uh, but Ralph, would you just pray for us? Pray for us as pastors, church leaders. I know it's an array of different people on this call, but obviously if we're on this call, it's because we have a heart for God's kingdom. We have a heart for uh, disciple making and multiplication and uh, would love for you just to pray and bless every leader on this call today. Father, I thank you that uh, when we get together with each other in your name, that you're here with us. Um, Your son, Jesus is with us. Your spirit is with us. And Lord, I, I trust that in this last hour, as James and I are able to talk to each other, that your spirit has been talking and speaking into the lives of the people who are listening. And I pray, Lord, that you would show uh, next steps, clear, direct, and practical next steps. I, I pray that coming out of this conversation, there would be more togetherness in your body, that we would learn to depend on each other while we depend on you. And I just pray that your grace would flow on your people. Lord, we, we are in a, in a defensive posture right now. We're, we're, we're on a team where things are uh, the scoreboard is working against us in some ways. Lord, turn that around. We know it's going to be slow and gradual, but we trust you to do it. And, and I just trust and pray that you would bless everybody that's listening to this uh, with, with new vision, uh, new desire, um, reinforced values, and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Hey, thanks again, Ralph. Thank you, Thank everybody, you. Uh, for being a part of this. Uh, have a great week. We'll see you.